This is John Jantz, author of The Referral Engine, Teaching Your Business to Market Itself, and you're listening to The Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on The Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. This show is produced by my marketing firm. We work with manufacturers to help them grow. If you're a manufacturer and are serious about growing your business, check out our guide to lead generation for manufacturers on our website, salesartillery.com, or Google lead generation for manufacturers, and you'll find the guide at the top of the organic results. And special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is a really cool app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And now, on with the show. Today, we welcome back John Jantz for the third time to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The Referral Engine, Teaching Your Business to Market Itself, published by Portfolio Penguin. John Jantz is a marketing consultant, speaker, and author of Duct Tape Marketing, Duct Tape Selling, The Commitment Engine, and SEO for Growth, and is the founder of the Duct Tape Marketing Consultant Network. John Jantz's small business advice has been featured in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and CNN Money, amongst others. And Seth Godin has called John the Peter Drucker of small business tactics. And the referral engine, which we're going to talk about, uh, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller and was on 800 CEO Reads Best Business Book Shortlist when it was first published. And interesting fact, John has nine siblings. John, congratulations on the referral engine and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm getting so much... Um juice from your energy that I'm really, this is going to be an exciting show. Oh, good. Well, that was pretty much all the juice. So I expend it all on the, uh, the intro, but John Jantz, I just want you to know that after this interview, there's going to be a special induction ceremony because you are now a member of an exclusive organization called the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. Nice. And that comes with all kind of special uh, privileges. Um, and one of them is a uh, free bobblehead at the Kansas City Royals Kauffman Stadium. Nice. 
but the, the only restriction, John, is that y- you have to go on bobblehead day. <laughs> so you are one of the 11 authors I made a video pitching to be a guest when I first started this podcast in 2015. And I'm happy to say all 11 authors have been on the show. So it's a great batting average. And also, it was a a great honor to interview you and your co-author of SEO for Growth, Phil Singleton, on your duct tape marketing podcast. I was a guest host, but I really like that book. And I was just talking to somebody about it two days ago. So that's a great book. Before we get into the referral engine, that's a great book for anyone that's spending any money on SEO or more likely hemorrhaging money, paying an SEO firm. It just helps to demystify everything. And it's not a long book like The Art of SEO, which I think is a thousand pages. Yours was under 200. Yeah. And actually, finally, Phil and I are finally getting around to creating a certification course for that too. So, uh, People who do like the book, that's sorry, shameless plug here. People who do like the book will uh, will have a chance to go deeper. Oh, terrific. Well, shoot, I'm going to have to check that out. So there's a book that you may be familiar with called Predictable Revenue, yes. which came out a few years ago, the sales bible of Silicon Valley. Uh, it was Aaron Ross and Mary Lou Tyler. And then Aaron Ross and Jason Lemke wrote another book called From Impossible to Inevitable. And actually, the second edition of that book is coming out. And I'm scheduled to interview Aaron Ross about it, and that'll be the first time I've interviewed an author uh, about an updated version of a book I've already interviewed him about, but it was absolutely one of my favorites. And in the book, it talks about how to get really fast, predictable growth. And he talks about seeds, spears, and nets, which is one of my favorite metaphors in marketing. And he talks about how for lead generation, you need to have all three. So in other words, seeds are those things that involve your network, that involve your customers, referrals, uh, selling more to your customers. Spears have to do with outbound or targeted prospecting that you're doing. Now, those are calling on ideal customers, ideal prospects who are probably happy, but that is an important part of the three-legged stool. And finally, there's nets, where those are any kind of leads generated by marketing. And so, too many companies try to do maybe just one or I see a lot of companies that want to do a lot of nets, you know, marketing-generated leads. And this was part of the reason I wanted to have you on the podcast is because there's too many companies I'm talking to, enough, enough to be unsettling to me, that want to do the nets. They want to generate the marketing leads and so forth, but they, they don't have uh, a referral program in place. They're not... Uh, they're all separately. They're also not selling as much to their current customers. And there's just sort of like they, they want a passing game, but they don't even have the running game. So that's why I wanted to include this. And just because I'm, I'm going to be honest about my theft, page 227 has at the very end of the book, a nuts and bolts checklist workshop action plan for all the topics in the system that you talk about. And you know, next client we get or, or a current one, I, we're going to start introducing this. Well, of course, it'll involve buying a lot of your books. So thanks, Jance. But <laughs> we're going to buy the books, but we're going to try and walk them through as much of that as possible because it just seems like it's faster revenue and it's it's easier revenue. Well, there's no question. And, and, and you know, you bring up a great point. I mean, I in, in preparation for this book, I surveyed uh, about 1,500 small business owners 
And what was interesting is that, and I forget the percent exact percentages it is in the book, but oh, I have it. It's eighty-five percent or something said that, that the bulk of their business came by way of referral, and then something like ten percent said they did anything at all right, to, to right. like that. Um, and I think that that's the that's the missing point. I mean, you're not going to get referrals unless you do good work and people like you, and and they're willing to refer you. But it, it's such a shame that people don't you know, focus on that as a significant channel because, you know, let's face it, people who already have some affinity and trust for you are are going to probably refer people that are ideal customers and because that's kind of who they know as well. Mm-hmm. And and they're going to make that sales cycle happen a lot faster. Oh, you know, Douglas said you were it. So, you know, come tell me, you know, what you can do for me. Um, you know, it's, is is more likely going to be the conversation than, you know, how much. So it, it's, uh, it's such a strong uh, avenue and a lot of people uh, simply ignore it, even though it's, you know, it's right in their face that it's a, it's a potent way to get business. Oh, so true. And in the introduction of the book, I just want to quote this excerpt. There was a time when marketers would simply create a product or brand, broadcast a compelling message, and send the sales folks out to hunt down new business. Over the past few years, in large part due to the explosion of online tools and networks, customers and prospects are now active participants in the creation of products, services, brands, positioning messages, and subsequent buzz, for good or bad. This book will show you how to craft a strategy that compels customers and partners to voluntarily participate in your marketing, to create positive buzz about your products and services to friends, neighbors, and colleagues. While it may feel a bit odd to suggest that you can actually compel someone to perform a voluntary act, you'll find that the pull of a fully developed referral engine is so strong that your brand supporters will feel as though they have no choice but to sing your praises. Now, as I sometimes like to say, John, this is a book about generating referrals, but there was a secret ninja trick I saw you do. You have snuck in a brilliant marketing and sales book. <laughs> and in fact, it's really only the second half of the book where you start to get into the nitty gritty. And then I would say the last quarter, you really get into the granular about specific things you should do. And the reason I want to set the stage that way is because you talk about on the very first page of the book, the way to generate more referrals is to be more referable. <laughs> so, if anyone thinks that this book is about uh, what my perception is of some of those referral groups that people go to, and they'll be, you know, um, they'll be a marketing person and a dentist and an insurance salesperson and a car salesperson, and all they're trying to do is generate referrals. And I don't know as much about those kinds of things, but I, I always thought that there was something missing to that. I haven't participated in them, but I know folks that have that have, that have done that. This is absolutely not that book. <laughs> so, so go to Amazon and uh, check out the referral engine. And but what I want you to do is look at the reviews, because you will find I don't know what it is anymore. About a dozen, half dozen. I don't know what it is. One or two star reviews saying exactly that. <laughs> this book isn't even about referrals. <laughs> oh, they're angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because you're right. They, you know, they wanted somebody to tell them. Here's the magic fairy dust that, you know, gets people who don't know you, don't like you, don't trust you 
to tell their friends and neighbors about it. <laughs> um, and, and so, you know, I, I it took me half the book <laughs> to say what you just said, that the way you get more referrals is to be more referable. Um, and then you amplify your referability. You don't get referrals because you, you know, create some tactic that is going to convince people to refer you. People do it. You know, you mentioned the word voluntarily. They do it because you exceed their expectations, because you surprise them, because you do things that others aren't doing. And you, you know, that's intentional. That's not something that, that, uh, you know, comes without some thought. Now there are a lot of companies that they're, just good people. They like to treat people well. They like to do what they promise. They like to communicate. Um, and so they get referrals, uh, what, what I call accidental referrals. Um, and those companies are the, in, in many ways, those are the companies that are the easiest to help because all you have to do now is sort of tickle that, you know, referability so that people are like, oh yeah, I need to do, I want to do that. Yeah, they you know, have make, the ingredients. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the harder one is somebody, um, and we, 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 you know, we all have either bought from companies like this or worked with companies like this where there's some, there's some pieces of the process that don't create the greatest customer experience. And, and so, you know, we've got to fix that before we ever start thinking about how do we generate referrals. Yeah. I was reminded of something I've read in your other books, and that is this concept of begin every decision you make with a referral in mind. And of course, you've seared yourself into my consciousness in, in a couple of different ways, but that's one of them because we're always thinking like, we're, let's say we're talking to a new prospective client. And we're just thinking, is what we do well, what they need, and are we going to be able to help them? We could take the money, but there's just no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow here because there's not going to be a referral. They're going to say that, well, they did something and they did it well, but it wasn't what we needed. The greatest source of lead generation is a happy customer. Uh, and and the, the, the part that I think a lot, you know, a lot of marketers, it's I want to get the sale. Um, and I think if you started looking at it as, you know, a customer is not a customer until they get a result. Um, then, you know, that's, that's a little more of a long-term approach. And I introduce in the book, um, and it's become foundational to my work, something I call the marketing hourglass and that, mm -hmm. that marketing has to, you know, we can't really just create demand anymore, uh, because, you know, the, the buying journey has changed so thoroughly that the, the customer or prospect really is in charge. And so a lot of what we're trying to do is organize their, their normal buying behavior and, the seven stages in the marketing hourglass are no like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. Um, and so if ultimately we're trying to get to that referral land, you know, we, we clearly have to understand that marketing doesn't stop when somebody says yes. In fact, the, you know, the hard job maybe of turning that person into a raving fan it has only begun. Mm -hmm. There is a quote on page 156, and it's from a section called How to Sell Anything to Anyone. And I've stated that, of course, to get the listener's attention because they were maybe, you know, drifting off as they're driving to work. But you write that there's a secret to selling more of just about anything to just about anyone, but it's not really about your product or service. The trick is to help them get what they most want. I know, brilliant in its simplicity, right? <laughs> Every marketing guru worth their salt tells you to push benefits over features, human desires over product descriptions. The thing is, even... This line of thinking stops well short of what I'm talking about because it's still focused on you and your products. Instead, discover what it is 
that your customers and prospects want most and then find ways for your business to help them get that. Explain. Well, I, you know, I, I go, I'm even blunter these days and I say, you know, nobody wants what we sell. They want their problem solved, period. <laughs> Amen. And so that's what we have. First off, we have to figure out, you know, what that problem is and, you know, what they're, and I'll give you an example. We have a tree service that we worked with um, a few years ago and they're, you know, somebody has a tree they want cut down, right? That seems like a problem, but the, but, but the, the reality is anybody who has a tree service, who has a chainsaw that has the truck, the, the, the perception is they can cut the tree down. So that's not really the problem. The problem is that homeowners are really tired of service people who tell them I'll be there at one o'clock and then like they get off work and they go to meet the person three o'clock rolls around, still not there. Um, when they do eventually come do the work, they don't clean up the job site. So, so it's those little things that people are, are the real problems that people want solved. And so, you know, we saw it over and over again in their reviews and we made that their core <laughs> message. That they'll be on time. That they'll be show up when they said they will and they'll clean up the job site, you know, when they're done. And, and, you know, that seems so, that seems such like, like a little thing, like really that's going to make a difference. But I think that's what we have to understand is that a lot of people perceive that, that what it is that we do or can do, you know, pretty much anybody who says they can do it, can do it may not be true, (laughs) but that's the perception. And so it's it's the problem that we really solve for them is how they experience getting it done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, that's what I think you have to go deeper um, and really understand, you know, that that's the business that we're in. And, you know, there are many, many ways to do it. I mentioned one, you know, read your reviews. What are people voluntarily going to a search engine or to a, to Google reviews and saying? Mm-hmm. It's a really good chance that they're going to communicate the, the real problem that you solve. Um, you call them up, call up eight or 10 customers and interview them. Um, and you're going to start hearing themes over and over again uh, about the, you know, what it is that you really do or what problem it is that you really solve. And that needs to become your core message. Even if you think it's kind of a little thing, <laughs> it's a big thing because your customers and prospects can't get it elsewhere. That is so true. And today I sold our boat and uh, the, the dealer asked me afterwards if I could uh, do a review for them. So and it was a good experience, but I was already thinking about what I was going to write and it, it really didn't have too much about um, their business, but it was more about the experience that I had with them and, and how highly I regarded them. So that's, that's a great idea. So John, you know, what about all those people who feel a bit shy about you know, asking for referrals, or they think that it's begging for business. Can you talk a bit about what the human brain has to do with referrals and why people actually are motivated to do referrals? So the, the, you you may not know, but that's about a ten part question. But I'll you know I'll start I'll break it down a little bit. I mean I just, I'll be back in a few minutes. Go yeah. ahead. <laughs> I think there there are is plenty of. Um, biological, you know, scientific research that suggests we as human beings um, are wired to give referrals. And again, if you go back to prehistoric times, a referral might have been, hey, there's water up there. Or a referral might have been, you know, watch out, there's like a pack of lions, you know, around the corner. I mean, we, we had to depend on each other. In fact, there was a lot of 
uh, of recent kind of research. I don't know if you're familiar with the book Sapiens um, that um, you know talks about kind of how Homo sapiens developed and and our like big thing that we our big tool you know was not you know guns and spears. It was our ability to work together and communicate and. Um, and, and, you know, say, okay, if the five of us go over here and then, you know, you two go over here. And, and so that kind of ability to communicate and collaborate and work together and help each other and, and, you know, give referrals because we were going to need referrals is kind of baked into, you know, ancient times as human beings. Um, and so there is a level of that kind of, Hey, I, I need to build that social capital. I need to, you know, put put some referrals in the bank because I'm going to need them at some point. You know, that still carries into uh, modern times. And and you know, there are also people that are just even more wired. I mean, they want to be seen as the connector. I mean, they want to go to their clients and say, "What else do you need?" Because I can give it. You know, I can get it for you uh, because they enhance their own kind of value in that relationship. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of dynamics going on as far as why people refer. But in many cases, we just can't not talk about <laughs> companies that exceed our expectations or that surprise us. Um, or that make us feel really smart for making that choice. And so, you know, a lot of of today, especially since we have so many ways to talk, a lot of today's, um, you know, tactic, if you will, is to do something that makes people talk. Um, and and that, you know, so you're tapping. That's why I say it's a, like a 10-part question, because there, there's so many reasons that that people voluntarily do this act. Some of them are very self-serving, um, and we just have to understand those. So you say that, and this is a real John Jans kind of question, okay? So just envision a big softball I want you to hit. Because I I think of uh, John Jans, I think of uh, marketing and sales, I think of practical. I think if I looked up the word practical in certain dictionaries, I'd see your picture there. But you also talk about systems, and it's so true. And you, you talk about referral generation is a set of processes within the overall marketing system? Again, that's probably a 20-part question, but I was wondering if you could just frame that out for the listener. Well, so it comes down to having that intentionality that, that you, know, you mentioned this idea of what if you looked at your goal, ultimate goal was that 100% of your clients also turned into raving fans and, and referral you know, advocates. Mm-hmm. So, so it starts with that strategic intention and what that strategic intention does is says, okay, when they buy from us, what does that experience got to look like? What's the onboarding got to look like? What's the orientation got to look like? Because remember, we want them to be raving fans. <laughs> and so, you know, what are they going to need in each of these steps? And what it, in fact, you know, I mentioned the marketing hourglass and, and the logical stages are no like, trust, try, buy, repeat, and refer. But when we work with a lot of folks, we'll actually turn it upside down and say, okay, let's start with referral and work backwards because a lot of people just stop at how do we get the click or how do we get the phone to ring? Mm-hmm. Um, and And what I'm suggesting is that if you build your entire business, your entire product, your entire service around getting referrals, you're probably going to make follow-up better. You're probably going to make um, the experience better. You're probably going to make communication <laughs> with the client better. You're probably going to go back and measure results and make sure they got results because, again, we're trying to get 100% referrals. And so it's it's somewhat of a you know point of view about how we design a business um, from the referral backwards as opposed to you know how do we get more customers. 
Right. So like, let's say we worked for that tree service and we know we're, we're empathetic enough <laughs> to know that what really excites them is the fact that they're crazy about being on time and that they are going to clean up afterwards. And maybe there's a couple other things. So then right off the bat, these are not marketing issues. These are like operations issues. <laughs> how do we make sure it's cleaned up properly? How do we ensure the customer's happy? Uh, yeah. How do we get them on time? How do we make sure we got the day right? That's right. I mean, it's, and, and it's a promise and it's a delivery and it's a communication <laughs> that you delivered on the promise. And that's, you know, linking all those things together because I, I work with a lot of companies that do these things operationally because they believe that's the way to do business and that they believe that that's how you treat people. <laughs> but, but that's just, you know, what their mom taught them. And, and what I'm suggesting is amen, <laughs> but let's, Make that a 27-point checklist that we communicate in our marketing. Let's do the 27-point checklist, and then let's make sure afterwards we communicate that we did the 27-point checklist that made sure that they got the result. And so, you know, the, the process is an amazing marketing tool when done right. Right. So let's talk a bit about uh, convergence. Um, I want to ask you a compare and contrast uh, question. And you talk about, uh, you ask, what kind of business are you? And you talk about, there's broadly speaking, two types of businesses that you have have seen and, and worked with. One is the type that is, uh, that relies on the evolution of marketing and, and sort of embraces uh, all the new opportunities out there. And others that rely on a more traditional offline approach. So I was wondering if you could compare and contrast those two and uh, talk about how uh, some of the best ones are are able to uh, use both. Well, so in in drawing that kind of line and, conclu and uh, conclusion, what I was really suggesting is that the businesses that get both of those elements and integrate the opportunities that both of them offer, I think, are the ones that are really leaping out in front of the crowd. So in other words, we're, we still, we do see a lot of businesses that they just, you know, they're all, everything's online. They've got chat. They, you know, you can place an order through them. You can get a technician to come to your house without ever talking to a person. Um, and then you have these businesses that are, you know, call us and we'll send somebody out and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll take a look at the job site and, you know, we'll then get back with you and send you a letter. This is a, After you so, make a deposit. <laughs> so what my, my point of that convergence idea is that the companies that are actually making a frictionless experience where somebody can find out about you, they can learn, they can begin to trust you, maybe they can get a quote, um, but that they're going to receive amazing, you know, promise, amazing guarantee, amazing service, amazing follow up that will involve, you know, a human element are the ones that I think are, are kind of leaping out of ahead because the fact of the matter is buying behavior has changed so much because of these online tools. We want certain elements. We want scheduling. We want communication. We want certain elements that we've grown used to uh, being able to get or have, you know, on our smartphone. So I think we have to enable those as part of the experience, 
But I think we have to also remember that, you know, human beings buy from human beings in the end for a lot of businesses. I mean, you know, there's I can go to Amazon or something and buy a book and never talk to anybody. But for a lot of businesses, particularly local businesses, um, being able to offer both of those um, and intentionally making part of the experience that you're going to experience a human being um, is, is vitally important, perhaps more important than, you know, it's ever been. Absolutely. So. You write that after all the companies you've worked with, you're fascinated by how often the successful, the the businesses that generate referrals, seem to have the same elements and practices as their secret to success. In other words, there's there's a certain pattern matching that has gone on where you started to realize, or maybe before you wrote the book, there are just certain things that they all... Uh, do well to generate uh, referrals, and I was wondering if you could touch on some of those. Well, the the key starts with um, not necessarily the asking, but you know the sales process, how the sales process goes, and how the person, how the buyer feels, how they feel educated, how they feel valued, you know, how they feel like the communication went. I mean, that's actually where it starts, and a lot of people. A lot of people assume that a referral decision starts when, you know, somebody got what they paid for and, and it was delivered and, you know, you made sure everybody was happy. But it's really that entire process from from the time that they reach out and start considering you. That's really where the where the referral starts sort of being planted. Um, and so, in fact, I talk about, a um, you know, a, a tactic that that uh, that we recommend all the time is that you ought to actually introduce the concept of referrals in the sales process um, that that you know somebody's going to be so thrilled with what they agreed upon today that that you know they're you're going to come back in 90 days and you're going to make sure they're thrilled um, and you're going to ask them for 10 other people that need to get that same result mm-hmm. but, but but the point is that it starts much earlier than most people believe but then it's every touch point you know you think about uh, a, a you know typical kind of transactions. There might be eight, 10 touch points along the way that, you know, the person agreed, you know, the person learned about your product. They agreed to buy your product or service. Uh, Then there was a scheduling component. Then there was a, what do we do now component? Then there was, okay, here's when it's going to happen. Here it does happen. Here's the bill. I mean, look at all those potential places where things can go wrong. The companies that 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 map those out and and realize that these are marketing functions. This is not finance that sends out the bill. <laughs> it's marketing right. that sends out the bill, and finance you know puts the money in the bank. Um, and and I think that that's you know companies that view you know every one of those ideas as marketing are the ones that create better experiences and better experiences from the first contact, um, always turn into referrals. That's so true. And my brothers and I have this business uh, on the side and we have an accounting firm and they, everything's great. And, but this year they sent us a bill. It was a little bit higher than the year before, you know, that happens. But then it said, we gave you, it was some sort of a 84% discount, meaning like they, they then showed, well, actually it was worth, what we did was worth thousands of dollars, but we brought it down to here. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I called the accountant we deal with, and I said, "What, what the hell is this? What? I, I, are there some tea leaves that we need help reading? Is this not the kind of work you want to do anymore? Is this? Uh, are you preparing us for a a big bill next year?" He didn't even know about it. 
was somebody else that had sent the the invoice out, somebody from their organization that had sent it out, and uh, it com- kind of ruined the experience for a brief moment in time. Well, and we work with a lot of um, larger organizations um, that that have a marketing department and a sales department and a service department, mm-hmm. and it's amazing how often when we're trying to map out their marketing hourglass or you know their customer journey through their business, you know they don't even talk to each other. <laughs> you know, it's like we get them together, and it's like, oh, that's what happens after somebody science order <laughs> oh I didn't realize that and and there's so many gaps in you know many people's you know businesses that create friction create a bad experience and and just just even sitting one day and mapping out you know how a customer experiences your business kind of from the outside um, is an incredible incredible opportunity for you to learn how to do a better job absolutely so in chapter five, you talk about the having an authentic strategy. And what was interesting to me is you write that this may be the most difficult, but also the most important step in creating a referral marketing business system. Talk about this authentic strategy. Well, I, you know, I put it in the context of referrals, but let's face it, it's just a marketing strategy yeah. you know, in, in general. Um, and it's one that uh, that so many people miss. In fact, I, I don't know that I've ever come across a business that just has this nailed. And so it starts with you have to understand who makes an ideal customer for your business. In fact, if you know the mistake when when we talk about referrals, the mistake a lot of people make is they you know know anybody who needs what we do <laughs> is pretty much <laughs> what do you do? Ask. Um, and and. What we need to do is, you know, if you came to me and said, you know, who makes an ideal customer for your business? And I can't explain it to the point where you're thinking, oh, I know three people. Yes. And three exact people. I mean, that, you know, that's a level. But I mean, it starts with you have to have that level of understanding of your own you know, business and of your own who you're trying to attract it through your marketing. If you're going to communicate that to the person that you want to give you referrals. Um, and the second component, then, is you also have to fully understand what is it we do that's unique what problem do we solve? You know, what problems or whining, you know, is our prospect usually doing uh, when they need us? Uh, Because if you don't understand that, you also can't understand how to explain that to your referral source. So if you came to me and said, oh yeah, I know three people, you know, that fit that ideal client description, but, but if you go to them and can't tell them why they should hire us because, you know, the problem we solve, you know, then again, you're going to say, oh, yeah, John does marketing. And then I'm going to get that vague call that says, I hear you do marketing. Can you come out and do that for me? Um, and, oh, yes. So, so, so it really is just marketing 101, uh, but translated into then how do I communicate that to somebody that I'm going to ask to give me a referral? Something I found helpful when talking to folks about this same thing, whether it's friends or a a client or a prospect, is I'll ask, who are the absolute worst customers that you have that you would like to fire? (laughs) And there's usually never much of a pause there because they know exactly who they don't want. Well, then, okay, well, what is it they all have in common? And then they start to realize, oh, okay, Ah, we we could actually fire some customers if we could fill our pipeline up, and then we could start to uh, go after more of the ones that are are really better for us. But that's sort of a 
maybe in a more emotional way to uh, to get them going. It's just human nature. It's much easier for us to talk about things we don't want than to identify the things we do want. Right, and I can tap into a visceral uh, yeah. you know, a re- a reaction they have. So, at any rate, chapter six. You know, I know you shouldn't pick one chapter you like more than others, but it was probably my favorite because it was all about content. And I don't know what we need that content for, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But can you (laughs) remind listeners? Now, a lot of listeners may be on board with this, but they may need help explaining this in their organizations. Can you remind listeners about the the power of content as a a marketing and referral driver? Sure. Well, so uh, again, I'll go back to my marketing hourglass because, I mean, the idea behind marketing in general is that we're going to guide people through each of these stages. Clearly, we need people to come to know about us and and know that we understand their problem. Once they do that, you know, do they do they like what they're reading? Do they like what they see? Do they like what they hear? Are there markers there that suggest, yes, this is somebody I can trust. Other people have trusted them. Other people have gotten the results that we want. Is there a way for them for for me to experience what it might be like working? So that's you know that's the the logical path that we want to try to guide people down. That's no like trust try, and then obviously buy, repeat, and refer. Pretty self explanatory. So the beauty of content today, at least the way people consume content, and this has evolved over the last decade, is that the buyer's questions and objectives change at each of those states. Mm-hmm. And we can use content to guide that journey in many, many businesses today because people go out there and they they go to a website and then they visit it again and then they do a deep Google search and see if anybody hates us and then they see if there's a white paper that they can download. And what happens is initially they're just trying to figure out what the problem is a lot of times or figure out if there's somebody out there that that is talking about their problem or can solve their problem. And what a lot of marketers have a tendency to do is we, you know, the marketers who have got on board with, you're right, we need content. Most of that content is focused on the person that is saying, I know what my problem is. I'm now just looking for the right person to solve it. And, and you know, you go to most typical websites, they, we fix foundations <laughs> and we, you know, we fix basements that, you know, that leak. Um, and that's, you know, that's content, I guess. But it's content for the person that is is basically just looking to buy, you know, and they're just looking who to buy from. Right. I've heard that described as weeing all over yourself. Well, well, (laughs) that's right. And, and, you know, the home services business, you know, a lot of times, you know, my basement's flooding. I I am looking to buy. Okay. But there's a lot of other people out there that that are saying, well, gosh, if I – there's a little dampness in my basement. Is that – you know, I wonder if that – devalues my home in any way. And so that person is out there looking for a whole different piece of information or at least somebody who is actually communicating, you know, the value of your home changes or the safety of your home changes or the health of your family, you know, is what they're concerned about. They're not necessarily concerned about cracks in their foundation yet or fixing cracks in their foundation yet. And so that's an example of kind of the questions and the objectives that that person's kind of just out there surfing a little bit now and, and, you know, trying to get some answers or trying to see if they even have a problem. And so that basement company that's writing content about those problems or those questions is going to kind of get on that buyer's journey at a much earlier point. And what, what 
the other companies are doing is they're they're going to get on that buyer's journey when the person is saying we need to find somebody to fix this problem. Let's get three bids. Um, but right, but that, they already trust the ones that that right. helps them uh, with with their content. Yeah. I, I should also add that there, I think there's a lot of uh, companies that think content is talking about their specific products and services. That's right. It, it today, I mean, I you know, I you've been doing this like me when you know when people started talking about content is king. Um, and I always thought that was a pretty goofy phrase, but now, you know, now I talk about it as, you know, it's air. Um, I mean, there's no channel that, you know, email, social media, advertising, even, you know, referrals, um, no channel that can, that can be very effective without content that is created specifically for that channel. And so, it's video, it's blog posts, it's white papers, it's checklists, it's emails, it's your social media posts. I mean, that's what, when we talk about content, that's right. how comprehensive it is. So the real game today is not how much we produce, but the intent that each of those pieces has for helping guide the customer journey. In fact, I'm going to give your listeners um, a break here. We need less content. <laughs> we just need it actually focused on the questions and the problems and the objective our buyers have at each of those stages of the journey. Amen. Amen. One other expression that I like about content is uh, the title of Rebecca Lieb's excellent content strategy book, which is Content is the Atomic Particle of Marketing. <laughs> yes. So that came to mind when you said it's like it's like air. But I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite topics that doesn't always get enough time on the podcast here, and it's even more special to me than podcasting. I was wondering if you could talk about uh, the hidden benefits of of blogging and how they've helped you personally. Yeah. So uh, the the part of the book that you're referencing. Uh, you know, I was still, this book is, as you know, is, um, came out a few years ago and we were still begging and screaming and kicking to get people on the blogging train. I mean, it, it you know, it's seems unfathomable at this day, but, um, and so that, that particular section that you're talking about, I was basically saying, look, it, blogging has helped me strategically. It has helped me thinking wise. It helps me be a better speaker. Um, and, and I'll, I'll kind of update that idea. I don't care if you call it blogging. <laughs> it's just sure. a practice of, of writing content, um, of expressing your thoughts, of getting, you know, wrestling with how to position and how to say things that are going to, you know, benefit your prospects and customers on a consistent, you know, daily basis. Even if you then take that and have somebody polish it up and turn it into marketing uh, material, it, it was really the process of of writing and communicating that um, that that you know held many many benefits for me. I mean, I you know the the blogging actual blogging platform and tool because of you know when it came around and and you know, where we were, you know, a decade ago in, in that kind of sphere, um, had also, you know, revenue benefits and, 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 you know, SEO benefits and whatnot, but it's really, it's really the, the management of content and the consistent production of, and communicating of, of, you know, of your words and of your thoughts that is just has so many benefits. Amen. Amen. So there were just a couple other things I wanted to ask, and they were fairly specific, but I think they might be helpful for the for the listeners as we dig a little further into the details of uh, referral marketing. I was wondering if you could explain what a referral number is. 
So the idea behind a referral number is that, you know, if you want to start tracking this and you want to make a game out of it almost, um, or make it an important uh, metric in yeah. your business, you, you, you have to start with a baseline of some, <laughs> of some start. Um, so the, the, the goal is if it's doable in your business is to look at your current client base and try to try to come up with a number, you know, what percentage of your clients are, are sending, you know, some amount of referral business now. So it might be 10%, it might be, you know, 20%, you might just have a handful of, you know, really rabid champions, but you just, you want to come up with kind of your starter number because from from there, you can then start saying, I mean, you can make it an objective. You know, we want, let's say it's 10%. We want 12% next year. We want 20% uh, next year. And so you then tie your activities back to, you know, what's going to create referrals? How are we going to tweak this part of the process? When are we going to go ask for? What campaigns are we going to put in place that are going to remind people maybe on a quarterly basis uh, that, that we love referrals? And then you just start tracking that number and hopefully it goes you know towards your goal or to or some sort of uh you know upward uh, trend and so the idea is that sometimes referrals are are hard and kind of squishy to show up in the you know the key performance indicators and so you have to find a way uh, to make them show up if that's going to be a real focus yes and as peter drucker said that which can be measured can be improved but just getting that one number gets people thinking oh this is a real thing and it also then, you know, then you you put the tote board up in the office and whatnot. I mean, you can you can you know then get people to focus on it uh, because you're, you know, what what so many people do because we can today is have seventy four objectives, um, you know, that we're going to meet this quarter, and and here are the metrics behind each of these, and you know, all of a sudden this is like a you know swimming in a you know quicksand kind of thing. So you know, what I try to get people to do is say, what are the what are the three most important things that we need to be tracking? I mean, there there there's reasons for tracking a lot of things. But if, if we're going to, you know, kind of try to keep everything in, in people's, you know, consciousness and we're going to try to, you know, this is going to be the year that we're going to really amplify our referability, you know, how can you make it as simple as possible? What, you know, what actions taken on a daily basis are going to impact, you know, this one number? I want to read one other excerpt. The ultimate measure of marketing success that was the headline. Sorry, you had me at that. You write, while many metrics help marketers determine the success of things like messaging, lead campaigns, and brand awareness, there is one all-important metric that I believe, if captured, is the key to unraveling every marketing challenge that you face. The measurement oh. that matters over all excited. others excited is... what this is. <laughs> You're excited to find out what it is? Yeah. I don't know, but this writer, he's really something else. The measurement that matters over all others is something I've begun calling the customer success quotient, the CSQ. JJ, CSQ, what is it? So the CSQ is actually a little bit of a play on lifetime value of a customer. I mean, if you can understand the value that you bring and, and, and where a lot of companies fail this is that they just don't measure. <laughs> they yes. don't ask, they don't review, <laughs> they don't, uh, um, they, and, and what's the beauty of that is, is that um, the customer then probably has a better understanding of the value that they bring uh, or that they get. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing because it's not just, oh, I'm writing a check again. It's like, oh, wow, <laughs> thanks for, you know, thanks for sharing that with me or thanks for helping me understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you as the business, you know, I, you know, I work with a lot of consultants and train a lot of consultants who, who work with small business owners. And I'm just adamant that they, that they need to, you know, they're undercharging most of the time. <laughs> and when, when they can actually start to get a peek into, wow, what we did for this customer is actually, uh, you know, increase their revenue by $300,000 this year. You know, I guess my lousy 2,500 bucks a month is not so <laughs> you know, for that. Um, and, and so, so I'm know, laughing those, to keep from crying, John, well, I know, but those, but those two things are really important for both the customer and, and for you. But I think it also then starts to create the, the sort of the baseline understanding of what are ways we could increase the value to the customer? What are ways that we could start looking for, um, other opportunities to serve that customer? And, and so, you know, that's kind of the idea behind, you know, trying to make it a math formula because there are, you know, some people, they don't need the math. They don't have anything to do with the math. But then there are others that, you know, give me metrics, give me metrics. And you'll find customers. I mean, in my world, you know, uh, about half of our customers are very metric driven. Um, and and a lot of times, you know, they I, I work on a retainer basis with our clients and I might work with them for years. And shame on me if I'm not cont- continually communicating to them the value that they're getting. Yes. And. When you have this customer success quotient or you're able to quantify it like that, what a great time to ask for a referral. <laughs> Funny you should say that, but no, that's, that's absolutely – I talk about in the book Moments of Truth, um, yeah. and that is certainly one of them. Uh, yeah. When you, you, know, you get a compliment, you get um, a, you know, a nice note from a client, you, you know, go out to lunch, and they're talking about this thing that happened that they weren't even – aware that they were buying from you, you know, that that was a result of the work. And then certainly that place where you go out and show them, hey, this quarter, you know, X, Y, Z happened, you know, towards our objective. Um, You know, that is, those are all amazing sort of moments to ask for uh, that natural moments really to ask for that. Right, right. So John, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, we kind of spoiled it because I think it was one of the first things we talked about. Um, the companies that you know get more referrals are more referable, and I think that you can't shortcut that. Go to work on making yourself more referable, and even if you don't take one of the, I don't know, hundreds of examples of tactics to get more referrals – you will start getting more what I call accidental referrals. If you create a better experience, if you just go fix one thing, like the the moment somebody buys from you, you know, have something that that surprises them or has something, do something that uh, that that communicates thoroughly. So you know, give them something extra you know, that they didn't know they were going to get. Just do that one thing, and you'll start automatically you're going to start seeing more referrals. So imagine if you did it through every touch point. So, so that's, you know, that's step number one, you know, don't try to figure out some fancy way to, to, you know, create a incentive to, you know, get more referrals. I mean, that might actually pull some more referrals, but the easiest way to get more referrals is to be more referable. Yes. But John, you see the problem with that is that it's like saying, to get in shape, you have to eat less and exercise more. No, that's not what I want. I want to take a pill and uh, be all better the next day. So I don't, you know, I don't want a book that tells me how to run my business and become more referable. I want a series of uh, manipulative catchphrases <laughs> that I can use to get referrals. So I'm joking. Um, 
Are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? You know, I have, um, I like you, I get a lot of books sent to me. Um, and I'm currently reading Limitless, and it's not in plain sight. So I'm, I was going to give you the author's name, but I don't have the whole name. Laura Gassner Otting. Yes. And her book has been brought up in uh, a couple other interviews. So uh, I think we're on to something here. I'm going to have to read the darn book. But wait, John, there's more. I heard there's a guy, some other author named Jance, who has another book coming out in the fall of 2019 for entrepreneurs. Tell us about that. So I wanted to do something really different. I've written six essentially marketing books. And so I, you know, I've been at this 30 years. Um, and so I wanted to do something that I felt like kind of shared my experience. I won't say it's wisdom, but it's certainly my experience. And so I wanted to write a really different book. And so I re- I've written a book that is a daily book. So in other words, you basically pick it up and it's January 1st. Here's one page, January 2nd, 3rd, 4th. And what I've done is there, there was a period in American literature and American history right before the Civil War in uh, the mid-19th century that a lot of the writing and a lot of you know, the social change that was going on. It was, it was the beginning of the women's movement. Um, you know, abolition of slavery was, you know, in, in full swing. And then, as I said, you know, the, the country was being torn apart, part, you know, right before a civil war. A lot of the literature that came out of that period just prior to that was very counterculture. It was very, there's a change coming. <laughs> and, and I think that so, so like Walden, mm-hmm. uh, and civil disobedience and self-reliance and, you know, even Moby Dick and, uh, you know, some of Mark Twain's writings and, and Poe and uh, Margaret Fuller. And, and so what I've done is I think there's so many parallels to what it's like to be, you know, the call was to be, you know, depend on yourself to, you know, to, to follow your dream, you know, to, to not necessarily listen to what everybody else said that you should be doing. And so um, I've taken passages from a lot of these great works, Scarlet Letter and, um, you know, I mentioned, you know, Huckleberry Finn and, uh, and, you know, all of Emerson's writings. And I'm taking a little passage every day and then that I think is inspirational. And then, writing another couple hundred words at the most um, to apply it to what I think is today's entrepreneur and then leaving you with a challenge question every day. And so, you know, it's a 400 page book <laughs> because you've got a page every day and, uh, and a few add on uh, things, but uh, it, it's going to be a book that, you know, will be very easy to read because you can pick it up and read, you know, the last three days if you missed them, or you can pick it up and read, you know, once a day for five minutes. And, and can, did I mention that it makes an amazing gift? Well, I can only imagine, and I can't wait to see it. And I, as I mentioned to you uh, in a message a, a week ago, I can't wait to see it because it reminds me, not in terms of the content, but it reminds me of Ryan Holiday's book, The Daily Stoic. Yeah. What he's done is he's taken all the some of the very best writing from the Stoics, the philosophers, and turned it into a different message every day. And it really doesn't take very long. It's it's just, in fact, the some of the writing from the Stoics was a, is a little more difficult to to follow, but then he and his co-author explain what it means, and it's brilliant. And I just about every morning I take a quick look at it and see, and I think about that. So I'm looking forward to adding uh, your book into my uh, my mornings. 
Yeah, and, and and there's no um, there's no secret that I was inspired by that as well. We have the Ryan and I have the same literary agent, and so oh really? <laughs> so I was very familiar with the success of that format, and there have been others that have written that format. The Daily Drucker, for example, we mentioned Peter Drucker it was a very very popular book about uh, 15, 20 years ago. Oh wow, I got to check that out. And so you know, they're, they're, the format's pretty proven. Um, and what I was trying to do is, I think there's a lot of people, a lot of us. Our age, particularly, we're you know we're asked to read these books, the you know the the Scarlet Letter and Moby Dick and and Walden in high school and college, but you know maybe we did, maybe we didn't <laughs> read them. And you know what my kind of my hope or what excites me because it was really exciting for me to go back and and revisit all of those works, um, and and I think a lot of people are kind of interested in hey how can this this can sort of be the ultimate cliff notes to, you know, a period of, of literature that also then is, is uh, at least attempted to, to apply to a, a more modern sort of entrepreneurial environment. Well, I'm, I'm excited to see it. So it does sound like a great gift. Uh, unfortunately, my wife doesn't listen to my podcast. I'm not sure she even knows what I do uh, during the day. But anyway, uh, John, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, so the the, books. the easy way, yeah, I was gonna say that you know you can you can go to any of the booksellers, you know the the, the Amazons and Barnes and Nobles and indie bounds of the world, and you can you know Google any of the titles. Uh, also, you know, just duct tape marketing dot com, d u c t t a p e marketing dot com. Um, I certainly have information on those books as well as just pretty much everything I'm up to. I have one of these uh, goofy podcasts myself as well. Yes, everyone should check it out. It's a really good podcast, except when he has the occasional guest host. I mean, I'll be the first to tell you. No, I'm kidding. Only one guest host I know of, he was a problem. But uh, I really enjoyed interviewing you guys about it. And I think uh, part of the motivation for that was that you were reluctant to talk about your own book That's on your right. podcast. And I said, damn it, I'm going to do it. More people know need to know about SEO for growth. So we will include links to your site and your LinkedIn profile and Twitter handle and all the books you've mentioned on this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com so that listeners can uh, find out more about those books and reach out and connect with you. And I hope they'll thank you for being a guest. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app, all these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. Also, I'd like to thank so many of you, hundreds of you, for leaving iTunes reviews. When you do a review for a podcast like this one or John's, more people are then, so the story goes, able to discover the show. So if you've left a review, please connect with me on LinkedIn. Send me a screenshot of the review so I can read and appreciate it. Include your mailing address wherever you are in the world, and I will, for a limited time, send you a thank you note, a marketing book podcast bookmark, and a marketing book podcast laptop sticker. The name of the book is The Referral Engine, Teaching Your Business to Market Itself. The author is John Jantz. John, thank you very much for joining us for the third time on the Marketing Book Podcast. My pleasure. Always fun, Dick. And that closes the book on episode 230 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. 
Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Keenan to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Gap Selling, Getting the Customer to Yes, How Problem-Centric Selling Increases Sales by Changing Everything You Know About Relationships, Overcoming Objections, Closing, and Price. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Amanda Harrison. Well, very good. Well, thanks very much, uh, John. Keep me posted on the uh, the other um, the other big book. We could do a special Christmas uh, episode. <laughs>